As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Paul Sweeney. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. You can also watch the show live on YouTube. Visit the Bloomberg Podcast channel on YouTube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern from our global headquarters in New York City. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Here's a secret, folks. People, a guy asked me, a wonderful guy emailed me this weekend. He said, how in God's name do you do it? And the answer is, you read, read, read. And I learned decades ago that if you read anything from Routledge Press, you will be happy. It is a esteemed British firm. This little jewel, 165 pages came in. This should be in the CFA curricula immediately. He's with Federated Hermes. He has to put up with Steve Off. Daniel Parrish <laughs> joins us, historian, PhD. And this is about what Paul Sweeney cares about more than anything, the ownership dividend. It is a magnificent mm -hmm. global Wall Street primer on uh, dividends. Uh, Daniel Parrish, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. You have the Paul Sweeney page, which is... Cliff Asnes at AQR saying, we've done the work. Don't worry about paying taxes on dividends. Dividends are good. What does that mean for our listeners, our viewers? You know, Tom, thank you for having me on the show. The, the way I phrase it a little bit differently is that uh, in my day job, I do run into a lot of advisors and, and clients who really, really want to subordinate investment policy to tax minimization. It seems to be more important to them than the, the investment policy. And I make the simple statement, that's a choice, not a necessity. Academic finance is really, really strong on tax minimization. There's nothing wrong with that. But I take a stand as a business owner that uh, investment policy should not be subordinated to tax minimization policy. And while right. the tax code is often adverse, you know, it's a sign of uh, success or victory if you find yourself having to uh, to, to to pay a bit. So uh, right. it's a, right. one of the biggest issues I run into on a daily basis. Page 53, <laughs> Philip Fisher. There was the Old Testament, yep. the New Testament, and then there was common stocks and uncommon profits a million, uh, like a generation ago. Daniel Paris, should Apple raise their dividend? <laughs> Yeah, the the uh, biggest pushback I get from this book, and, and Apple's a perfect example of that, is, listen, buybacks are fine. And uh, I, I don't dispute the utility of buybacks in certain circumstances, not how they're they're widely used. But I'm, I'm challenged 
and said, well, you know, where would these dividends come from? We don't want to starve companies of growth opportunities. And of course we don't. Uh, companies should invest in, in uh, positive MPV projects. But when there's close to a trillion dollars spent uh, from the S&P 500 companies, notably uh, concentrated in a handful of very, very large tech companies, on buybacks, uh, shifting some of that over time, which I believe will happen as interest rates have stopped falling, uh, is not going to uh, come at the expense of, of investment and growth. It's going to come out of out of the buybacks. And, and uh, Apple and many of the other companies that uh, say they can't afford to, uh, to pay a dividend because they've got so many good growth projects are also buying their shares back hand over fist. Looks good in a rising market. Uh, they need to do so when they're issuing shares out the back door to employees. Uh, but uh, yeah, the payout ratio for the large tech companies, which is currently pretty low, uh, and for, well, it's called the NASDAQ 100, uh, whether they're in the NASDAQ 100 or not, but I'm just talking about the large mature tech companies. I believe over the next couple years, over the next five to 10 years, you're gonna see many of them follow in the mm -hmm. footsteps of, of uh, Meta and there others go, and, yep. and there go down that go. path. Yep. There we go. So Daniel, is there an ideal payout ratio? What does the academic research say? Uh, you, you just stepped on an academic landmine. <laughs> I, I don't know if we want to go there. Uh, the In 1961, the issue of whether there's an ideal payout ratio was uh, uh, raised and uh, answered definitively. So we'll, the answer is no. Uh, and I don't uh, dispute th that finding from 1961, though much of my work is, is uh, historically critical of academic finance, of modern academic finance. Uh, some would say very critical. But uh, I, in the book, I do argue that, listen, I don't know what the payout ratio is going to be and the yield of the S&P 500 is going to be. I just know it's going to be higher than it is now. We've had a 30-year anomaly of declining yields, declining payout ratios, uh, rising uh, buybacks and other phenomena, which I think, uh, as the book articulates, kind of came to an end starting in 2020. And is the yield of the S&P 500 ready? Is everyone sitting down? You know, is it going to be 3%, 4%, mm -hmm. 45 I, I don't know. But, Paul, I'm going to pay I think it's going to normalize in that direction. If, Tim, if, if Lucas was here from Apple, he'd say all of our research is shareholders don't want to pay tax on that 4% SPX dividend. So what do you say to that, Daniel, about the, the tax implications here? What's the counter argument, I yep. guess, if there is one? Yeah, the, the the only the only difference right now, remember, long-term capital gains and uh, qualified dividends are taxed at the same rate. Okay. So from a uh, purely investment perspective, or uh, it, it, there, there's no penalty. When modern academic finance and when that Apple executive was being trained, uh, tax rates were uh, were higher on dividends than they were on capital gains. That's no longer the case and hasn't been since 2003. The only difference is timing. So that a uh, investor can time a capital gain or a capital loss. Again, investors yeah. can harvest capital losses as easily as they can harvest capital gains. But an investor can time that, whereas a dividend occurs more regularly. My answer, and it's really the theme of the book, and it's in the title, and you you, you caught it, Tom, is a harvested capital gain is a market outcome, for which many many people, when the market moves up and to the right, are very happy with. A dividend payment is a business outcome. Uh, you can choose to play the market or you can choose to be a business owner. Now, there are a lot of young people in particular who don't care about being a business owner. They just think of stocks, buy low, sell high, repeat frequently, it goes up to the right. <laughs> and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with them. That kind of a clientele effect. There are a lot of people very satisfied with that. I'm just pointing out if you bring a business owner sensibility 
to stocks, the same way you might to right. real estate or a private enterprise, you view a harvested right. capital gain as something dramatically different from a dividend payment. I got one minute left, Daniel Paris. Is Zuckerberg the executive of the year because he turned gear <laughs> here so and just simply said, no, we're going to change this. We're going to do this like a conservative measured company. I just think he's a quick reader. So the book came out one day and the very next day uh, 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 Meta made its decision. So I, I applaud him for, for reading, getting a copy and reading it quickly. Daniel, thank you so much. He's yeah. the Federator Hermes, but I just can't say enough about the history of this. Folks, this goes back to my grandparents. It's that strong. It's got Eminem um, in it, Merton and Medigliani, all sorts of theories. V. Bodhi, if you're listening up at BU this morning, your great corporate team, this is a book for you. The Ownership Dividend, it's a pro book, folks. I'm not going to kid you. Lots of footnotes, lots of what you'd expect in an academic treatise from the uh, PhD historian. Daniel Paris, The Ownership Dividend, The Coming Paradigm Shift is the Stock Market Catches Up with Paul Sweeney. Exactly. That's a good. Paul, take that book, I'm taking read it. it. I'm going to give it to That's Mr. Tim Paul. Cook. That's when I see him this spring on the campus of Duke University. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is the conversation of the day. Flat out, I'm going to say, we're going to talk to Sarah Rappaport about Queen in the next hour. This is without question the conversation of the day. Patrick Armstrong believes in the frenzy. He says it's not a frenzy and you got to own Amazon the rest. Yep. In what date matters? Here's the date that matters. Mark it on your surveillance calendar, May 24th, NVIDIA reports again. Patrick Armstrong, why do you own NVIDIA? Um, well, it's obviously a great company. It's the epicenter of everything that's AI and um, it's not trading at a ridiculous multiple. Um, stock <laughs> is up 400% over the last 14 months. Earnings are up over 1,000% over that time. It's at 32 times 12-month forward earnings, 26 times 24-month right. forward. So elevated multiple, great company, incredible margins, and it can produce as much as there is demand for its right. product. So I love companies with pricing power that basically set the price and people are clamoring to get whatever they can from whatever it produces. Over the weekend, and thanks, a shout out to Zero Hedge, who does a great service on this. They have the Goldman Sachs 
hedge fund buy side long only long short report it's absolutely spectacular thank you for that service and patrick it's simple in the last x number of days institutions have sold what patrick armstrong owns and retail is bought what patrick armstrong owns what's that signal to you i don't know if it's a strong signal either way but uh you always have an instinct to take profits on something that's gone up so much but I just look at the valuations versus the price and valuations aren't rising it's the price that's rising for Nvidia so I'm sticking with it right now um, you've got the earnings in May that you just referenced but in March the middle of March they're coming out with their next generation chip what that's capable of as well and I think that's going to be a really important date that you don't schedule that ahead after incredible blowout earnings yep. unless you know right. you're going to really shock the market again and just basically right. create that momentum that everyone's clamoring for on the retail side of things. But it's not a 2000 type bubble, right? It's maybe the estimates right. are too high. That's a possibility. Um, basically if another company comes in with a competing chip and then Nvidia all of a sudden has to compete on price, they don't have to compete on price right now, but, uh, it's not a multiple story. It may be over optimistic, Earning right. estimates, but I actually believe those are. Okay, estimates. Pat, listening to Patrick yep. Armstrong, Neil Dutta at Renmec. Thank you, Neil, for getting off the Delta airplane. <laughs> and Neil says Fort it's Lauderdale. simple. Consensus is wrong. He agrees with the optimistic tone that we hear from Mr. Armstrong. So, Patrick, in addition to NVIDIA, how do you feel about those other, you know, big cap, magnificent five, six names, you know, whether it's the Amazons, the Googles, the Metas? Um, do you have a similar level of conviction to remain long, those names here? So I own Google, I own Meta, and those are companies that aren't trading at demanding multiples. They're trading at discounts to the NASDAQ, trading almost in line with the S&P, but they're, they're growing at a faster rate. They're buying back shares at a faster rate, still producing a lot of free cash flow. You've got a lot of advertising risk with that, but you've got an incredibly resilient consumer, and I think advertising is going to continue to drive revenue growth for those companies, so I own both of those. I own Amazon as well, which is, again, a play on the nice. U.S. consumer that's just very strong. All right, so Dow I know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Dow, you're exactly right, Tom. Dow component today. All right, so Patrick, you and Tom, you're both long the big tech names that have been working. Both of you guys are just clipping coupons. The rest of us are out there working for our money here. How about energy? What do you feel about energy? I'm looking at WTI crude here at 76 bucks a barrel. How are you thinking about the energy space? I like the oil and gas companies um, for a number of reasons. I think you get an inbuilt geopolitical hedge against unfortunate events that might be happening in the Middle East or with Russia or the war expanding in the Middle East where more sanctions come on Iran, things like that. But if you look at the future strip, bought prices for WTI are the same as they were six months ago and 12 months ago but the longer dated contracts are up 30% over that time. So oil and gas stocks are flat over the last 12 months, but their implied profitability based on the futures strip going out the next 10 years, that part of the curve has really jumped higher. And I think the companies aren't really reflecting that higher for longer uh, crude prices. And I do think they'll start to move that way. So it's interesting here, because we're looking at, you know, the supply and demand out there for energy um, and Again, I'm not sure what's driving this thing. Is it the supply side of the equation or the demand side of the equation? Uh, but it, I, I guess if you feel like the economies in the U.S. are going to remain strong, that would suggest maybe higher oil. Is that how you think about it? I'm not sure if it's going to be higher, but the bull case on oil and gas companies don't need higher oil. They okay. need oil to maintain these prices because right now the cash flows they're producing are incredible and they've paid off a big chunk of debt over the last 12 months. They've bought back shares paying dividends as well, and all of those things 
are boring compared to the technology companies, but the market is going to re-rate um, as you see persistently high crude prices based on growing demand and supply not quite keeping up, basically. There's not been enough CapEx to probably deliver the new supply that's going to need, be needed to meet demand. What, what shorts have been working for you guys, Patrick? Um, so you talked about the auto companies. We're short Rivian, uh. we're short Ford. Um, and yeah, I love companies that have pricing power. I hate companies that are market takers of price. And unfortunately, if you're an EV producer, uh, um, yep. there's still demand for what you're producing, but you've really got to compete on but price. But the truck so looks really cool, though. I've yet to see a positive review. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lisa took one for a test drive this weekend. Lisa, what do you think of the Tesla, the car, the Cyber? The Cyber Tink? Yeah. You You feel like you're out of a version of Mad Max? (laughs) No, we're not done with Patrick. We're just going to Lisa to talk. You know, Cybertruck and all that. Patrick, I want to ask you a pro question. You got your own Plurimi Capital now. What would you do as a portfolio manager? If they said, Patrick, you own 13% in Meta, you own 10% in Amazon, you got to lighten up based on prospectus. How would you respond to that? Um, well, in our usage funds, we do have those restrictions. In Europe, there's a 5-10-40 rule, meaning you can only have 10% in one position. But uh, with global mandates, that's more than enough for me anyway. In a US-centric mandate, you might start to feel constrained by those kind of things. I'm happy to run in a global mandate less than 10% in those kind of stocks. So I don't want my portfolios to be one-stop um, bets. A client can do that themselves, but uh, we manage a 30-stock portfolio. So uh, it, that's not a constraint for me, really, that I worry about. So, Patrick, what's your, aside from the big tech here, what, are there any themes that you're playing here in 2024 and beyond? So we like the big cap tech, we like energy, um, Novo Nordisk, Eli Lilly, those are the other market darlings that I still think make wow. very okay, good Wow, okay, so you're, yeah, you're uh, right, all the good spots there, tech and weight loss. I, I can't say enough the value of talking to Patrick Armstrong, look for his work, uh, often quoted in essays in the Financial Times as well. Patrick Armstrong, thank you so much for Plurimi, Plurimi Wealth, their chief investment uh, officer. Societe Generale, great offices in Paris, man. I was there. Love those offices there. Uh, Subhadra Rajapa joins us. She's head of U.S. rate strategy for Societe Generale, or as the old school we call it, SOCGEN. Subhadra, what is our Federal Reserve going to do next? Because we've had some guests come in here the past couple of weeks, I would say, that say you have, in your scenario analysis, you have to have a rate hike in your scenario analysis. I'm like, what? A rate hike? I'm just like, when are they cutting and how fast can they cut? Is there a scenario where maybe they think about pushing rates up a little bit? I don't see that scenario, at least as of now. Uh, Perhaps uh, the off chance that we see a sharp rise in uh, geopolitical risks leading to supply chain disruptions and the economy remaining resilient under the circumstances could argue for a policy adjustment. But really, everything we've heard from our uh, Fed speakers so far has been that yields have peaked. Yep. So we're looking towards perhaps, uh, you know, if anything, uh, if the economy remains strong and resilient, that they might that they might cut rates later than the market expects. Okay. Uh, and less than the market expects, but not necessarily hike from here on. <laughs> For better or worse, it's a presidential year. How does that factor into? kind of the Fed's behavior, do you think? A lot of folks are saying 
they probably got to do something no later than June because you don't want it to feel like you're starting a rate cutting cycle in an election period, I guess. So Powell has told us that they're not, uh, you know, partisan in any way. They're okay. not focused on the, the political scenario and they're, they tend to do what's what's right for the economy. And I do believe them in that. But that said, there is no precedence for the Fed uh, cutting rates or adjusting policy just before an election. Right. So in some respects, that yeah. argues for perhaps a May or June rate cut. Kind of get that process right. started, even though if they don't, you know, deliver on, on subsequent meetings, I think that they might space out cuts. But I don't think they take it all the way to November uh, to, to cut right. rates. I, I want you to overlay your world into the equity melt-up we're seeing right now. Latvi from Goldman Sachs was just on, and he made very clear it's an economics call, a productivity call, better economy, up everything goes. Do you buy that? How do you link fixed income into the equity melt-up we're, we're living? You know, the equity melt-up and the strength of the economy has definitely caught everybody by surprise. We have very strong growth momentum going into the second half of last year. And the momentum in the first quarter is also very strong. So, to, to get ahead of this because of time, because Paul wants to jump in here, what's it mean in the fixed income space? What do CFOs do? Are we going to have an issuance frenzy because times are good? We've already seen a little bit of an issuance frenzy in the first uh, month of the year, and that's carrying over into into February with uh, 10 yields coming from, say, 5% last year to around 4.25% now. But broadly speaking, it is a buyer's market in bonds because yields are very attractive, whether it be in investment grade or high yield, uh, as well as in treasuries. I mean, we get uh, two-year and five-year bonds being issued uh, you know, this week, and you're going to see a pretty decent amount of demand from investors because of the higher interest rates that you can, uh, and yield that you can pick up. So I'm looking at a 10-year, um, like 4.24% here. Are we going meaningfully higher here, or can, are you, do you expect rates in the back half of this year to come down as we look at our yield curve? I do expect rates to come down gradually during the course of this okay. year. I think that 10-year yields around four and a quarter percent is a buy, in my view. Ooh, nice. uh, investors are going to be looking at you know two years around 475 yep. and 10s around 425 as a buying opportunity. And um, every time uh, you know bonds sell off, I see the buy the dip mentality come in and put a cap on high how high yields can rise. So um, that's our base case, and I think we we think uh, ten year yields will probably decline to around you know three seventy five sometime in the middle of, of this year, and then perhaps start rising wow. towards the end of the year again. What does the 10-year real yield do with a 375 Ooh, nominal good. yield? You take the nominal yield, folks, you subtract out Subhadra's best guess on inflation, and that gives you the residual, the inflation-adjusted yield. What's that number? Can you get down to 2.00, 1.00? So 10-year year yields around, 10-year real yields, I should say, around, 2% or higher is again a buying opportunity over the long run because inflation expectations aren't uh, really moving that much. Uh, Ten-year break-evens have been anywhere between two and two and a half percent. Right, so you have a 375 nominal, right? You just yeah. said that. Yeah. Where does the 10-year real yield end up? Um, it's going to probably be uh, you know about 2% lower from there. 
given back the fact below that below one. Yeah. This is really important, Paul, because you say to yourself, how do you get a roaring 20s like Ed Yardini's talking about? That's precisely yep. how you get there. Yep, absolutely. So what is my what is my Federal Reserve doing here with its balance sheet? Are they still tightening here? I don't hear as much about that these days. So I think the Fed is going to want to continue to run off its balance sheet. Is it like uh, 60 what is it, 60 billion a month or something? 60 billion, it's, the runoffs uh, are capped at 60 billion for, for okay. treasuries. Okay. And I think that they're probably going to lower that cap sometime in the second half okay. from 60 billion to 30 billion. But um, I think that they're going to want to continue to run off the balance sheet for the remainder of the year and perhaps into the early part of 2025. And that's really where we have a little bit of an outer consensus uh, call because the Fed, I believe, is going to try to reduce its balance sheet as it's cutting rates, which mm -hmm. it hasn't done in the past, uh, because they want to right-size the balance sheet and get that liquidity or the excess liquidity in the system um, out, out of the system as they're unwinding their balance sheet. So, I mean, a lot of folks feel like the Federal Reserve is already late to the game here. They should have been cutting rates like now, because if you look at the real-time data, inflation has, in fact, been beaten, and they should be cutting rates now. What do you think, what do you say to those folks? The way I think the Fed looks at the markets is holistically. Inflation is one piece of the puzzle, mm -hmm. yes. If you look at the three-month and six-month annualized rates in core PCE, it's, it's around 2%. Yep. But growth has been extraordinarily resilient. They want to avoid what happened in the, in the 70s and 80s where they right. cut rates prematurely and they saw a resurgence in inflation. So the Fed is very much focused on both the inflation dynamics as well as the growth dynamics. And as long as growth remains uh, relatively strong, I think that they're going to hold out on cutting rates. Yep. All right. Subhaja, thank you so much for joining Subhaja Rajapa from uh, Societe Generale, giving us your thoughts on the rate outlook. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You take a look at the front pages around the world. A zillion stories. She, she was in here early. She got yep. in like at 6.50 or something to do this. <laughs> the newspapers leave. So what do you got? All right. The New York Times, this one really stood out to me. So they are reporting that 
unused money in college savings accounts can now go toward your child's retirement. What? So this really stood out to me because there are parents out there who don't open the 529 because they're worried that what if my child changes his mind? You know, he decides not to go to college. What if they choose a more affordable school and you're left with this chunk of money? What if they get a scholarship and you're you're left with this chunk of money? What do you, you do with it, it without without getting the, the, the ah, taxes taken okay. out of it? Because you get that, you know, the taxes have to sure. get taken out of it. So that's what they're saying. Um, sometimes you can pass it on to a sibling. For example, I'm doing that with my son. He okay. decided to, to stop a little bit early, so that money is going to his sister. But nice. some people don't have okay. the siblings. So this new rule under a federal law allows up to $35,000 in a 529 account to be rolled over to a Roth retirement account for the beneficiary if certain conditions are met. One of them conditions, it has to be, have, have been open for at least 15 years, that 529 account. No contributions or earnings from the past five years can be transferred. I mean, there's a few other rules in there, I, but it, it's opening a new conversation, you know, a new- The, the conversation, we don't have time for me to get sure, up on sure. a soapbox and go <laughs> mental about this. This is the problem with ERISA back in 1974 is the solution for legislators is complexity. It's simple. You put money aside for your kid, you're not gonna use it, put it in the parent's retirement account because the parents can't afford to retire because yep. they're raising the kids. That's a national yes. issue that we have right now. I, Paul, help me here. I'm yeah, upset. that's the first thing I thought of. Was like, right, right. hey, if the kids aren't going to use it, I'm taking it back. Yeah. But you I don't take wanna, it back. But now I have to pay the tax. But now you got to pay right. the tax. Okay, right. well, right. you do that's a Roth or whatever. But it, it, this uh, Roger Ferguson is expert on this at TIA Craft, the former vice chairman. Make it simple. And right. they refuse to do that because they're afraid Paul Sweeney's going to get away with murder. Exactly. That's all there is to exactly. it. Next. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is about the housing market. So a lot of renters, what they're starting to do is they're realizing that they might not be able to buy a house. So what they're doing is they're saying, you know what? I'm going to give up on my deposit and I'm going to make this apartment for me. I'm going to paint it. I'm going to wallpaper it. I'm going to decorate it. Um, I'm going to hang pictures and, you know, nail things in the wall, yeah. you know, and, and and forge over that deposit because they just realize that it's it's not going to be a reality for them. They're not going to be able to get that house that they want. Yeah, with interest rates where they are. I mean, you know, and, and there's just no housing stock for sale. So even if I wanted to move well, into something, there's there's not a lot out there. I, I just looked in Skinny Atlas. We had Eric Friedman with us this <laughs> yep. morning, who lives in arguably the most beautiful town in all of New York State, and there's nothing for sale. No, I mean I yeah. looked on Realtor, I looked on Zillow to talk to Eric about it, and there was no property to talk to him about because right. literally, Paul, nothing's for sale. Yep. Well, so, I went. There were open houses this week, and the town I'm, I live in. There were open houses this weekend, and there were lines. Was we that had to right? wait because wow. we're renting right now, and we're waiting. To oh, buy. you're looking. Okay. And there were lines uh, out the door at right. these open houses. So because there's so few of them. Yep. It's, it's, it's true. All right. All right. Uh, let's. Uh, Apple. They want to make more wearable devices no, to attract oh. customers. Okay. So here Mark, we go. This is a Mark what German do we got? Angle. Does German pay you German. to do this? No, this is a German. Yes, Mark German. Okay. He says wearable devices okay they want to you know apple wants to keep their apple family they want to keep people locked in there so they're talking about a, a smart ring that could take health tracking features from the apple watch and apps uh apps on the phone and phone calls and things like that um so the smart ring why people will like it is because sometimes you have the watch and you might not want all the additional things you know you might oh. just want to know the health benefits so you might not want the watch so maybe this ring could be something that you could use nope 
A nope. Nope. It's a pass. a hard no. Okay. Sorry, how about Tim this Cook. one? Sorry, how about Tim this Cook. one? Smart glasses. It's something similar to new products from Meta, Amazon. <clears throat> they could provide audio, so you don't have to right. do the AirPods. Right. Which so don't stay in my ears anyway. Which don't yeah. say, yes, that's my biggest problem with them. Um, and they use AI cameras. They can identify things around the world. So it's taking Apple that step closer to the you know reality spectacles that you can wear all day. Right. Um, so that's another thing. The the, the regular glasses not the vision pro but okay. the regular glasses lisa mateo with our newspaper report today thank you so much this is the bloomberg surveillance podcast bringing you the best in economics finance investment and international relations you can also watch the show live on youtube visit the bloomberg podcast channel on youtube to see the show weekday mornings from 7 to 10 a.m eastern from our global headquarters in new york city Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen. And always on Bloomberg Radio, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.